Welcome to the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast. I am John, Johnny Substitute, Johnny Alternate, the Deputy Mayor of Backup Town, the Jack Blackup of Backups. I'm filling in for Andy this week, who is out sick with a touch of what we call in America the socialism. So get well soon, Andy. Um, you're missed, not by me, but probably by someone that listens to this podcast. So uh, anyway, my co-host is Brad this week, making his second ever podcast appearance and first with me. So welcome, Brad. Hi. Hi, John. And I just want to say the people's champion has returned. Bow, 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 bow. He's back, 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 back again. It's so nice that you would say that about me. I, I know I was missed. <laughs> and I'm I'm just very glad. I, I know I have a lot of fans in the audience. I didn't realize you were such a fan as well. Oh, it's it's so nice to be welcomed back with open arms. But let's talk David versus Goliath, episode ten, because we got two hours this week. How'd you like that? You know what? This went pretty well, and I feel like I I, I said this before I forget where uh Twitter discussed these weren't, I don't think, individually great episodes, but together it was a very solid two-hour chunk, and I'm I'm very happy with how uh, this sort of shook out. I think we had a good sort of uh, block of Survivor this week. Yeah, I think there were um, some comments, and I, I think that was echoed by multiple people, so I can't really credit a single individual here. But I think the Carl arc across two episodes worked a lot better than it probably would have in just a quick 60 minute episode, just because it would have felt a little forced. The fact that you got the setup in episode one and the downfall in episode two, I think it made it a little more compelling to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because we hadn't really seen a lot of Carl up to this point. It was kind of like Carl and Allison were the two people who were getting very purpled up to now. And so for all of a sudden, Carl to be the target on almost everyone's minds and then quickly have a boot right after that. That would have been just been such a whiplash to go from the car levels that we had been at to what we were getting this week. It did actually, it felt a little bit like, I don't even know if you've seen Marquesas, but it felt like John and Marquesas who like just got this whole episode about how great he is. And he thinks everybody's working for him to succeed. And then this, the downfall all in one episode. And it felt like that, the nice story arc laid out, but it got to breathe a little bit. And I think you're right. If there had been maximum exposure in just a single episode, everybody would be like, Oh, we haven't seen Carl in weeks. And now we're seeing a lot of him. He's gone. I think spreading it that out across two episodes kind of at least put some doubt into your mind as to whether or not he'd be gone in episode two. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and you are right that I have not seen our cases because again, that's an implicit reminder that I'm younger than almost all of you. So just, You're to, a youth. you know, put that back out there. Yes, I am very much a youth. Um, but yeah, you have, uh, the Carl episode that you're thinking about. I mean, I was sort of thinking about the Drushbag episode in San Juan del Sur. And even though that was contained in sort of one tribal cycle, sort of the elements were kind of the same that Carl, sort of found his way into this group that he thought, okay, now we have the power. We'll kind of do whatever we want. And then just sort of, you know, swinging his uh, little Carl around as he was trying to, you know, push the vote a certain way and maybe a little too hard. Phrasing. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll get to Carl later because that's actually the second yeah. half of this. They're calling this one episode. Sure. We'll go along with that, mm-hmm. whatever they want to call it. Um, but that's the second half. So let's start with the beginning. Start from the very beginning, as they would say in The Sound of Music. Um we started with Nick finding an idol and he got the clue to the idol because again, they know what to look for. He and Davy and Gabby and Christian, they know what to f- try to find and they did find it. And the idol clue says, Hey, walk along the beach, find a torch. And this is always presented as like some big risk. Like you're going to get caught and Davy has to cover for you, blah, blah, blah. Do you see it that way? I see it as more of a risk than just going normally idle hunting, right? Because if you're just normally idle hunting, then you find the idol and then, you know, that's sort of the end of the journey. Whereas when you have to leave camp, yeah, everyone's asleep, but there are, you know, as we saw in this episode, people up and about and, you know, sometimes puking. So there actually is a a chance that you're going to get caught because you normally don't have a reason to leave the shelter and be gone for long periods of time. except if you're, you know, taking a really bad shit, but when you're starving, I don't know that that's necessarily something that you're doing. So I don't think it rises to the level of risk of when you are at a challenge and you need to 
get an idol off of the challenge course somewhere, but I do think there is a bit more elevated risk uh, than just normally finding an idol somewhere in the woods. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also a far lower risk in the, than when they hide it under the shelter and you have to mm. manage to reach your hand under, crawl under, whatever it might be. Like, this just seems like a really minor barrier to getting that idol that they played up as though it's like, oh, some impossible mission that you have to be stealthy for. Like, now nah, you could have come up with some plausible excuse for why you were gone if someone did see you walking away. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, I do like that they do, that they like do change it up in the end game because previously, like when Dan went to the green Tiva beach and he found the idol essentially doing the same thing because he knew what to look for, which has kind of, you know, been a trend up to this point. Uh, but he knew what to look for and then he had the idol just finding it. So I do think there's something to be said about adding in these new layers, you know, as much as they play it up, uh, where you find the idol in maybe your original beach. And then once you get to the merge beach, you have to do more things to do that, right? such as going out at night and getting it, or maybe reaching under the shelter or going on the challenge course and grabbing out of there. Um, I think the order was kind of mixed up. If you're trying to ramp up the risk level throughout the season, I think the challenge that Dan had to do was a little more risky um, than what Nick had to do here. But I yep. do like the idea of changing things up and maybe just making it harder to get that new idol as it becomes more valuable in the end game. Yeah, I agree with that. I just, I don't think that, that this met that, qualification Mm -hmm. um but hey at least the woman found an idol this week oh wait no Mm -hmm. once again after they hung a lantern on it in like the first episode of this season yet another man finds an an immunity idol so far nothing but men finding idols um i feel like they did not include that in the first episode for no reason I, i think it's going to be nothing but men finding idols and they were just sort of spotlighting that and letting you know to look for it there's some edgic for you. <laughs> well, it will be especially delicious if we get maybe an all-female final four, final three, when none right. of them find idols. I think that would actually be a great, uh, you know, sort of twist ending to that. And that would actually make that foreshadowing even better if it was yes. included by the editors for that reason. And no spoilers, but I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Mm-mm. So let's talk about the other central focus of this episode, which was Alec and his overwhelming need to win the challenge because it was incredibly clear that he was the target. He's like the biggest challenge threat. He knows it. Everyone else knows it. They all want him gone anyway. And he just decides, well, I'm going to win this challenge. And that challenge went really, really fucking long. Did it actually make you interested in watching the challenge? Cause it was so competitive. Well, I will say, um, I think this is something that I talked about on the last podcast, but, um, growing up sort of on Survivor, my mindset about challenges is a little bit different from some of the other hardcore fans. For me, there is always time for a challenge. Uh, so I kind of was into it, but I did enjoy sort of the twist that happened in here. The whole thing of, um, him sort of, you could hear him sort of shit talking other players. Um, and the whole thing with Christian and his captive audience, which mm. very nice twist on that. Yeah. Uh, who do you think would drone on for longer, Andy or Christian? Like who, who could actually make someone be like, this is just not worth it. Uh, not even for a million. I'm just stepping down. Right. I think if Andy didn't have to actually edit out his talking for three hours, Andy would be talking for three hours every week. Yeah. You. You know, I don't get a lot of credit for the human work I put in, but I do have to edit Andy down a lot. Fortunately, he talks so much, he forgets what he said previously, so he doesn't necessarily notice that I trim out 15, 20 minutes of him talking every week. So anyway, yes, Christian did. Um, it, was, it was another cool callback. Like they'd done the uh, time lapse thing with Christian giving a confessional earlier in the season. They did it again here with Christian droning on during the challenge. It was nice. There's been a lot of cute editing touches they've done that have really made this season enjoyable. And we got it again in the challenge. I mean, it wasn't just Christian that gave him a challenge. Gabby hung in there for, was it like four plus hours? I think 420. I think four <laughs> hours and 20 minutes is what they put up on hmm. the screen. Nice. Um, yeah. I mean, she was clearly just as motivated as Christian was to be able to take Alec out. And I, I honestly thought Alec was going to win because he was a talking so much crap mm-hmm. and B honestly didn't have a lot of faith in Christian, even though the extent of the challenge was stand there. 
Like, I, I, I still thought that to be too much for Christian. Yeah, which is why I also wonder if it was something other than just exhaustion that played into certain people stepping down. I know when he got back to camp, Alec was saying how it was sort of like he got dizzy and all of a sudden he was just off the board. Although I do wonder if there was something more to that, but also like someone like Kara, you know, like she looked rock solid, just like Alec did. And then all of a sudden she's off the cross, you know? So I don't necessarily go by looks for this one, but I do think it's interesting sort of the people who you think are going to end up winning the challenge, just by just uh, sort of based on their posture end up off in almost like an instant. Yeah. I could believe if Kara said, Hey, I stepped down on purpose because I wanted to give Alec the shot that would track with what we know about Kara and what we saw her saying in this episode. Um, I don't know for sure. That's why she did it, Mm -mm. but it seems like a logical explanation. (laughs) So anyway, Christian ends up winning and thus they go to tribal council trying to set up that, Hey, maybe it won't be Alec because he worked his magic on these other people, but it was 100% unanimous. Was that the right call? Was getting rid of Alec the right way to go here? I mean, for me, just for, personal reasons, I would say no, because it kind of stings that when you're between Alec and Carl, and you boot Alec, and then you decide on the next tribal, oh, well, actually, why don't we just send Carl home too? Um, I would have preferred Alec stick around for fantasy reasons and other reasons as well, but we'll talk about that later, potentially. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you should clarify what kind of fantasy reasons you mean there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well we will talk about that. Um, <laughs> but for Christian, I mean, he, I think he actually said the words in... Or maybe, no, it was Gabby who said the words, not to give a man credit for something that a woman said, uh, but it was Gabby who said at the well, I believe, um, oh, we can pendulum and meat shield if we decide to stick with Alec, um, which if that's the plan that Gabby and Christian would have gone for, I actually wonder if that has more drawbacks for them than they otherwise would have realized. Because if you're going to meat shield with Alec, that means that you need to keep Alec around Right. Like he's mm-hmm. not good to just sort of like keep you there for one tribal and get rid of him. If you're going to meet shield, you need to meet shield all the way. And so if you are kind of stringing people along who want Alec booted and then you never work with them to get him gone, sort of the same thing that we've been seeing with Allison and Gabby, that's going to piss people off. And then generally you don't see people really ever successfully pendulum because once you start flipping back and forth, that also pisses people off. So I don't know if that was actually a winning strategy of sticking with Alec and then trying to meet shield and pendulum. Yeah. That was, I think one of those wishful thinking type things, because as we were discussing this in purple rock chat today, like Matt pointed it out, like Christian just couldn't have gotten the Davids on board anyway. Like the vote was going to be Alec. I don't think there's a way he could have pulled enough votes to his side to make it anyone but Alec. There's a chance he could have gotten some Goliaths on board, but I I think they were just as willing to get rid of him as the Davids were. So uh, I think it wouldn't have been worth even trying to expend the capital. Yeah. Take Alec out there. I, as you mentioned, even just trying the meat shield thing gets a little too difficult because at some point people will expect you to pull the trigger and take him out. Um, and if you're not willing to do it, they'll take you out instead. Mm-hmm. So roll the dice, take Alec out here. And Christian is out in front as I would say the biggest threat now after the Alec vote, it, sometimes you have to be out in front and see if you can play your way to the end. Good luck to him. But I, I think it would have been even harder to keep Alec around and do it. So anyway, we got an- another episode where Carl got booted, as you mentioned. What about him? Was it the time to turn on Carl? So I'm looking at this sort of through the perspective of, again, Christian and uh, Gabby's eyes, because they were kind of, uh, the people who said, wait, no, that's not true, is it? I mean, it, to your credit, it was Gabby that threw out the, uh, targeting of Carl. She was clearly tired of Carl's shtick, wanted him gone. Mike was the crucial swing vote for that blind side, but it wasn't Mike's plan. Right. Yeah. So what I was thinking, uh, with, if you're looking at it from Christian and Gabby's perspective, right? If you're trying to decide between Allison, who kind of Carl was pushing for, or Carl, if you're going to start on this new road, like obviously for Gabby's game, keeping Allison around is a good thing. And then if Christian is still aligned with Gabby, keeping Allison around is a good thing. If those two are close, that's another number that you can make a threesome out of uh, phrasing, of course. Hmm. But if you keep 
Carl around and you boot Allison instead. Now Christian and Gabby are locked in with the Davids. And I don't know with the way that things have sort of been coalescing as of late, if Christian and Gabby can actually come out on top with the Davids. So even though things maybe they'll be outnumbered by some Goliaths, there might be some more wiggle room for them to maneuver if they go and get rid of Carl and keep Allison with that new voting block. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously risk in taking out Carl, but there's, <laughs> we've discussed this so many times on the podcast. Mm-hmm. There's risk in inaction too. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian again is the big target. Now uh, he can maybe try to work up the threat level of Nick or Davey, make people think like, Oh, we've got to take these guys out too and keep the heat off him for a little longer. He's got an idol that he can play. If things get a little too hairy for him, I definitely don't think at this point he can go back to the Davids and say like, Hey, we have to vote together to keep numbers. Like that Tony game is not going to work for him. Um, so it's going to be tough. But like you said, I think it's tough if he had tried to stick with the Davids. I don't know that he's at the top of the pecking order there with him and Gabby. I think the other group of three would have outnumbered him with Nick as the swing between them both. And I think Nick seems to be tighter with that other side. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's talk Gabby, by the way, because someone in our comments a few weeks ago had said they were waiting for the transition of Gabby from baller to baller. That works a whole lot better in print than when <laughs> I just said it out loud. <laughs> uh, baller in reference to her crying versus baller as the big player. Um, I think we kind of got it this week. There was at least the groundwork laid for that transition. Did you feel that way? Um, yeah, kind of, I mean, we're kind of getting there because Gabby is still making some of these decisions. Like she's running it by Christian first before it sort of takes flight and she really starts pushing for things. We are probably going to see an evolution of that next week, but we can talk about that maybe in a bit. Um, but yeah, I think Gabby's sort of on her way to being the B-A-L-L-E-R baller. And, you know, I'm here for it because we've kind of been seeing throughout this season that Gabby's kind of, you know, sort of looked over for all the crying that's been happening. Um, and that double standard isn't necessarily fair. So if she's ready to, you know, step up and make some moves and, you know, build out that resume, I think it's a good time to start doing it because now's the time the jury really starts, you know, looking at that sort of thing, uh, with a fine, you know, really good microscope. And, uh, if she's ready to do it, I'm ready to watch. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Um, we should point out the quick little aside here. The survivor Twitter account was like, <laughs> made some poll, like, should Gabby stop crying? And Gabby obviously saw it because she follows the Survivor Twitter account, and she's like, hey, cool tweet, bro. Um, it really is. Carl had cried multiple times this season. The show is not saying, like, oh, look at Carl, this emotional wreck. I think there's reasons for people to cry, um, and I think especially Gabby felt very frustrated because she was – not heard within that group, um, which is a big part of the reason why she made the move against Carl. Um, so yeah, people cry, but again, it's, it's much more of a quote unquote weakness when women cry. So it sucks. And for her to have this chance at final tribal council, she's got to shed that perception of her. Unfortunately, like I would be fine with it, but I think that some of those people that would need to vote for her will need to see that transition in her. And I think it could come. I, I, like I said, I think I see groundwork laid here. Um, the next time on survivor preview was really encouraging if she's going to follow through. And in particular, I love that when Carl got his torch snuffed, she led the ding cheer with uh, the other two ladies. Like, masterful burn like you made it clear to the jury that was my move peace carl like that that sticks out in the jury's mind you know carl did the same thing to dan trying to make sure that everyone knew like hey that was me that just took out dan gabby stealing his thunder doing the exact same thing to him that's the move that's going to get her some credit absolutely that was i mean it was great i mean it was funny first yes but it was great to do it in front of the jury so the jury knows hey these are the people who sort of architect uh architected architectured i don't know verb uh who planned out the move um yeah it was good all around and i will also point out the whole thing with comparing uh gabby to carl to my mind i think carl actually cried on the show before gabby did i think we saw him cry first 
And if you go back and look actually at the uh, video posts from earlier in the season, which I just know just because, you know, I write them. Um, there was like a solid three weeks where every week was a clip of Carl crying about something. Sure. Um, but of course that doesn't get any traction, you know, one, cause it's a bonus video, but two, for the same reason that Carl's doing it and you know, he's a dude and Gabby is doing it and she's a woman and we treat that differently, you know, as a society. Yeah. You know, Gabby's emotional quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of people who got uh really shitty tweets written about them, let's go to uh, Angelina. Shall we? Oh, I'm always ready to talk some Angelina. She is a gift to the survivor world. I like, I would spend the next 20, 30 minutes talking about Angelina. If you let me. Oh, well go ahead. Tee it off. Okay. Well, um, I mean, we just talked about Gabby, so we should start off with the fact that Angelina was saying that she was taking Gabby's place in the David's Alliance. And she felt really cool about it. I loved it. Like right from the start, She's like, yeah, I just took this position of power away from Gabby. I'm the new Gabby. And immediately it's a powerless position. <laughs> like the very next vote, she has lost all the power she thought she gained. Very enjoyable to watch. Um, I also loved right at the start of the episode, Angelina asking the other Goliaths, like, Hey, what the fuck? What was with those, uh, Angelina votes at the last tribal council? And Allison's answer was, well, I couldn't vote, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's not saying you wouldn't have voted for me, but sure. So, you know, Angelina, rightfully pissed, because clearly they were ready to, like, cut ties with her if they needed to, in order to save themselves. I, I just love it. I love Angelina on the rampage. I love the fact that her rampage was completely impotent. <laughs> and there's just bullet after bullet that I could go over from her game and her social media even, which I'm sure you'll want to discuss at some point, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, before we get there, I do want to, you know, follow up with what you said about her just being mad, you know, that she got votes. I mean, you guys knew, right? When I say you guys, I mean, Alec and Kara and Allison, how mad Angelina was at just being the decoy without even having yes. votes actually written for her. So understanding that you wanted to, you know, play up to the Davids, that you wanted to give yourself some uh, contingency should something, you know, happen with Dan at that tribal. Um, I don't actually know that Angelina was the best push person to put votes on for it, because I don't think any way that that went, you could have had it shake out where Allison, or I'm sorry, where Angelina actually goes home. Maybe you put some, some votes on Mike, because suddenly at this point, Mike is just hanging around the island and waiting for people to come talk to him, right? He doesn't really have any agenda that he's pushing or any allies he's working with. But when you do something like this to Angelina, where you can pretty accurately predict what the reaction is going to be. Yeah. I don't know that they play that one necessarily the best way. Right. Like if you're doing the same thing and expecting different results, you're just insane. Yep. <laughs> um, she also got this beautiful little scene wherein she was the master negotiator and you know me well enough to know, like, I love that kind of crap. I love negotiation. I love finance. I love that she gave a confessional where she made sure to underline the fact that she learned at Yale Business School how to negotiate. And so she enters this discussion. She's trying to get rice because they're running out. And she starts by saying, hey, probes, do you want to make the first offer? So far, so good. That's you, you want someone else to make the first offer. But he doesn't take the bait because he's got all the leverage. So he's like, nah, fuck you. You go ahead. Give it up. And so far, everything's going fine, right? Like then suddenly Angelina makes her offer, which she'd pitched to the whole group before. And they all like, yeah, yeah, yeah fine. Sure. <laughs> Basically offers him mostly useless crap. Um, that sounded fine. Like, oh, we're offering up fishing. Like we haven't seen them catching fish. And she's confirmed later they haven't caught any fish. So she says, that's our initial offer. Now, as the person receiving an initial offer in a negotiation, I'd be like, okay, so that is your low point. <laughs> so she set a floor from which she will negotiate higher. That was not ideal. But then somehow, Jeff Probst hands over all the leverage in the negotiation and says, Hare, 
you can sit out a challenge that you probably weren't going to win anyway, and you can have exactly what <laughs> you wanted. So her strategy actually worked and it was amazing. And more importantly, it led to some questions on Twitter and then Angelina defending herself on multiple social media platforms for her negotiation strategy, which is why I'm 100% on board with Angelina. This is amazing. Just inject it into my veins. It's so good. Yeah, I think the only way that this could have been a more Angelina moment geared for you is if there's somehow some sort of interest rate that they had to pay back Mm. for the rights that they were were borrowing from Jeff. Um, But yeah, I mean... I'm actually looking at this Instapost from Angelina and I kind of want to run through the list because there was a lot of talk like, and even I said it as it was happening. I'm like, Angelina, I thought you were going to lowball Jeff. Like this, you're offering, you're straight out the gate. It was like, I don't think she took a breath between listing the five items that she was, you know, trying to give Jeff. Uh, but this fishing gear, which she says that they caught no fish despite trying, um, that they had these cooking supplies that they were not using, that they were trying to offer chairs that were broken. Um, a hammock, which, you know, sometimes got used, but for the most part was just a luxury. Um, all this stuff that, like you said, sounds really like, oh my God, that's a lot. But when it has no actual utility to you, right, all that value is simply nominal. And so it sounds like a lot. And then, yeah, absolutely. I think when you, you know, say that you're going to lowball and you come in with this massive offer, which sort of implies that you're giving all this room to negotiate. And then at that point, I don't think Jeff is actually really interested in negotiating because everybody tries to lowball with like, you know, maybe we'll trade in our tarp or something. And then Jeff's like, no, I'm actually going to make it hurt. We're going to extract this more. When you come in offering five things and you're like, okay, let's actually have a real negotiation. Jeff's not really interested in that. So he cuts the chase and he says, no, just someone step up for or to sit out immunity. And I think that that worked perfectly. I don't know if that's what Angelina was going for. I'm not positive that it was. But yeah, I think it worked out fantastic. I mean, it did. It's very, very funny to me that she's um, so passionately defending herself. Like, just point at the scoreboard. It worked. <laughs> like, your strategy, I may have taken some issues with how you went about that negotiation. But again, point at the scoreboard. You got exactly what you wanted. It cost you very, very little. It actually probably, in my mind, cost you way less than what you initially offered, which was already pretty low. It was like, if you're an NBA fan, it's like every proposed Celtics trade (laughs) where they're like, I'll give you five pieces of crap for your superstar player. Hook me up. Um, The fact that she keeps defending herself is so fun to watch and read, and I love it. I, I love Angelina both ironically and unironically, <laughs> like in, in various, like it depends what the moment is, but she's great. She's an amazing find. And I don't know if you know this, but the per, do you know who found Angelina? I got Adam. Really? The winner of millennials versus Gen X was the one that like basically referred Angelina to the show, I guess. Um, or like made it, I don't know what the hell, like somehow she's his buddy got him introduced and like how shitty must it be to be Adam? <laughs> it's like bringing a plus one to a party and you walk into the party and no one wants to do anything with you. They're just fascinated by your plus one instead because your plus one is so much cooler, and more <laughs> interesting and dynamic. And like she's everything. Adam was not. Adam was earnest and nice. Angelina is fantastic television. She's dynamic. She's fun. She's the anti-Adam. I don't even know how they're friends, but I'm enjoying... I, I, I'm i more grateful for Adam now <laughs> than I ever was during his season. Yeah. I mean, to paraphrase uh, something that one of my former colleagues uh, said, Angelina is the worst in the best way. Like yes. she does all the things that like normally are just very irritating and grating, but she's doing the right, either getting the right results or having the right motivation. So it's enough that you're like, ah, there's this tension, which I enjoy watching, but it's not to the point of, you know, some other seasons where it was just a constantly grating presence that didn't have any payoff. Like this is great fun to watch. So I want, you know, I'm happy to have Angelina around for more of this season. 
Yes. And that's, that's the thing that appeals to me is this is fun to watch. It's not like she's not being totally dragged or anything. And, you know, I've pointed out at various points in the season, like she's had the right reads at certain times and has just gone about a terrible sales job getting people to come on board with what she wanted to do. It's just the Angelina experience. Like it's fun to watch that. Um, it's not that she's a dumb player or a bad player. She just has certain flaws. Every player is flawed. Angelina's flaws are just really fun television, at least for me. I mean, I, it might be too subtle for some people. I mean, judging by the idiots on CBS survivor Twitter, she's not necessarily well liked. I don't care. Those people are dumb. They're near, they, they might be dumber than survivor Reddit. Um, that's pretty low bar. <laughs> um, but she's great to watch. She really like of the people left in this season. John probably would have beaten her earlier in the season. I think she is my main focus when I tune in now. I think Gabby's moving up the rankings. I'm enjoying Gabby more now, but Angelina is what makes or breaks the episodes for me now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a lot of fun to watch. And I think, you know, this particular cast, there's been a lot of great finds. And, you know, having a great cast is one of those things that really makes Survivor more fun to watch. It makes it so much more watchable. Uh, the other part of it that I think for this season has made it like really watchable and really, you know, feels kind of fresh, feels more interesting is uh, some of the editing things that have been going on in this season. Uh, so what do you think, John? What have you been thinking about the edit and what the editors have been doing? There's been a bunch of really nice touches that I've enjoyed. Like I pointed out Christian's rant thing earlier, like a nice little callback to the premiere of skipping through Christian's long winded, uh, confessionals. Um, that was nice. The ladies had another nice callback after the Carl vote, like imitating his bing sound with the ding. Um, the rise and fall of Carl breaking across two episodes. Well, two hours, I guess. Again, they're not calling this two episodes. And then there's been another trend, which is way more subtle, but I've really dug. Um, it's been the women applying certain things to the men that usually get applied to women. And we saw Kara calling Dan emotional before. Um, you know, Carl's calling Gabby emotional when he's the one that's constantly crying. I've enjoyed it. It's been a nice, subtle touch. Whereas in contrast, the CBS survivor Twitter is like, do you think Angelina is bossy because she's a woman with opinions? Like, oh God, at least the show is getting something right. It's giving you something. Yeah. I mean, I think everything that you said, I absolutely agree with. Uh, One of the things that I've been noticing this season that I've been uh, enjoying more is some of the things that they've been doing at Tribal. They're giving us like kind of like different angles. And for some reason, that's really working for me. Um, so I know there's like a few episodes ago where, um, Angeline was like pleading for the idol from Dan. And you can actually see the camera angle from Dan's point of view, essentially of Angeline turning around and essentially, you know, groveling for this idol, which really does something as you, you know, opposed to just seeing him sort of head on with the normal tribal shot. And then, uh, for this tribal, um, Someone else pointed this out, um, but they sort of like took a little bit of a different angle so that when Christian is doing his poached egg analogy, you can really see him sort of swirling the water with his hands. It's just like little small things that, you know, kind of have like, like, oh, that just, it feels fresh, even though it's essentially the same product that you're getting. Um, so all of that, the one, the one thing that I will knock though, and this is not for this season, it's been happening since, uh, I think Game Changers, they have this like weird, music entering tribal with like essentially if you know that siren from the rogue one trailer um just like whooping as they walk in i don't know that's the one thing that bugs me i do wish they would go back to the old tribal music but that is just something for uh super weird nerds like me yeah they get a little fancy with music sometimes a little heavy-handed and it's sometimes just a little too much they could tone it down but that's really minor nitpicking for me um like it doesn't detract too much what else you got? Um, well, I mean, that's sort of it for the editing for me. Um, we can jump to the check-in if you're ready for that. Let's do it. What, what, what do you got? What are you enjoying or not enjoying about this season? Cause it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, so it has been a while. And the last time before that while, when I was on the podcast, 
uh, I believe I said that I was in on the cast as a whole, but not necessarily in on people individually. I kind of have that same feeling, but more amped up into a higher degree. Um, I think that of the eight people that we have left in the game, I think they all have something to bring to this end game. It's not, you know, like we have in Angela and a Laurel and a Seabass who are all going to drag the finale down. I think whatever combination of six players we get for that finale, I think it's going to be dynamic and fun. And I am excited to see it. Uh, Mike White might be maybe like a little questionable, but I think if he's sort of the floor of the cast that we've got left, um, I don't think that's a bad thing because he might not be the best player, but I don't think he's boring by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I would maybe argue he's a little boring, <laughs> at least in a relative sense mm-hmm. of the eight that are left. Um, I would say that this group is all at least above average narrators, um, some better than others. But I mean, I, the only ones that are closer to average would be like Allison and maybe Mike, which is weird to say because Mike is a writer and actor. He's just not a Jonathan Penner on this show, which Ooh. is disappointing. But we can't all be Jonathan Penner. Exactly. Who can be? Um, but even he's, he's not bad. Uh, he's just certainly way less entertaining than I would have expected from someone with his credentials. Uh, so what else are you in or out on? Um, I am, well, this is actually going to be a joint in and out, uh, phrasing, but <laughs> I am in on people who sort of, overindulge in food and or alcohol on reward and end up acting a fool. Um, and I'm out on people who overindulge, maybe particularly on alcohol and uh, just are generally gross while acting a fool. So if you remember uh, your episode and what I'm talking about specifically, drunk Davy was fun and drunk Carl was not. Yes. Um, drunk Davy very much. Reminds me of the type of people that I have hung around with while indulging too much in alcohol, both myself and the people around me, much more like Davies. I think that kind of person is fun to be around when they're a little too intoxicated. Carl looks like he's enjoying being intoxicated. I don't think the people around Carl enjoy his intoxication quite as much. And certainly Kara... I don't know that it was explicitly stated, but I got the vibe just watching that it didn't seem like the most comfortable thing to be around drunk Carl because he was all up in her personal space, like really violating some cultural norms that he should have respected. Um, I get it. You have alcohol in you, but back up. She can hear you. You can still talk from a foot away. Yeah. And let's not undersell what he was doing. Carl was fully in Kara's lap, like on top of her, essentially a foot away from her face with the beer breath and the talking and all that uh, right in her face. So let's not undersell what was going on there. Um, but to, to sort of link it back to what we were talking about before, I think that's just sort of, you know, another example of the double standards and sort of those gender dynamics that take a really shitty turn in real life and in Survivor. Because I think for Kara... She did not want Carl, you know, in that sort of proximity to her, but it's kind of hard for her in this point of the game where even though Carl's about to be booted at that point, he kind of seemed like he had all the power um, to say, no, get off me, like, or maybe even like push him off physically. Um, it's, you know, like she needs his information because he's willingly giving that up and that's, you know, useful to her for her position. Um, but of course, you know, Carl isn't clamoring to climb into Mike White's lap. So, you know, <laughs> right. it's kind of, it's, it's shitty for Kara. Yeah. And we've talked about it many times over the course of several seasons on this show, but Survivor as a game and as a show reinforces some very unfortunate cultural and societal norms, um, and some of the worst aspects of society. Uh, it just, ends up benefiting people within the game sense to accept terrible things that they shouldn't have to. Um, and we don't know for sure that Kara was uncomfortable, but I felt uncomfortable. And like, I'm guessing whether she would say it or not, it was at the very least not ideal for her. Um, 
So what else do you got? What else are you in or out on? So the last bit that I have for this, um, I am in on advantages again. I know that everybody sort of feels advantaged out. Um, and sort of me talking about advantages coming a little late, but again, this is, uh, the first time I've been on the pod in a while. Um, but I'm back in on advantages just because even though the number of advantages hasn't changed, I think the effects have, right? Like when we had a million idols and a legacy advantage that gave everybody immunity and it led to things like Sari motherfucking fields being sent home, right? When we sort of changed what the advantages could be to things like vote steals or idle nullifiers, those aren't giving extra people immunity. Um, it's actually, you know, changing the landscape in a more dynamic way. And so I think if we can keep doing this with advantages, I'm on board with that. Yeah. And I'll concur to a point because I'm generally not someone that shits on the idea of having too many advantages. Like I, I don't think that's necessarily ever been a gripe of mine. It was maybe a little much in Ghost Island. Um, there was, a lot going on. I haven't liked certain things that they've tried. The legacy advantage did not work for me. It just narratively was shitty from a game perspective. It didn't add enough to be so narratively shitty, but I think the advantages that they've had in this season that have worked really well, like the vote steal, uh, the idle nullifier, those things involve a whole lot of luck and the right circumstances and even the right players to be successful. And just so happened that all those things coalesced in this season. You had the right numbers in play. You had the right people with those advantages in their hands that needed to use them at the certain time and the knowledge and foresight to see when and where they should use them. I think that's probably long odds in general. I don't think that if you gave these same advantages in 10 seasons, I think it's maybe going to happen one out of the 10 times that it would work out this well. Um, it's a longer odds play than it seemed just because it was executed so nicely here. I don't think it would be replicated in future seasons. I would concur with that, but I would also say that I don't know that it needs to be the optimal outcome for it to be a good outcome. So you're right that this is probably like the most that we could have gotten out of the way that these advantages had been played. And yeah, that's really super unlikely that would happen again in another season with another setting. But I think even misplayed advantages are also entertaining. If you think back to Kagayan, when Tony plays his idol for LJ and LJ plays his idol for Tony, and all of a sudden the vote's on Jeffra, right? Like idols are there, they're being misplayed, and it's still entertaining. So I'm still here for that. Okay, yeah, and and that I'll agree with, because I've said many times, like, if you're going to be bad at Survivor, and misplaying advantages is not necessarily bad at Survivor, because good players will misplay advantages. There are times when it makes sense to use your advantage, and you'll still be wrong. Like, that's at the very least offering me some entertainment value, um, just from a gameplay perspective, and from a, like, watching a TV show perspective. Um, so yeah, in, in those cases, even when they fail, you're right, they do at least add something to the show. They, they get played. That's, that's something that needs to happen for them to be interesting is, you know, watching someone hold a idle nullifier for 12 episodes is not the most exciting thing in the world because it never gets played. Um, you know, it, it has to be Chekhov's advantage and actually get played at some point, whether successfully or unsuccessfully. Yeah. You know, I will give you that point as well. Again, it's sort of like a probability distribution and. I still think there's some good to be uh, gotten out of it. But, you know, we get to have different opinions. And that is, you know, teeing you up. What What are your opinions on this season? Where are you at for the check-in? Um, I mean, you've covered most of my thoughts. Um, the one thing that I would say about the season as a whole is I think we've got a floor set now. And at worst, this is going to be a good season. Like, it, there are no plausible possible outcomes that would make this season suck like there there's no way that the end game could break down from here on out that would be enough to drag this season down like this is going to be an above average season it has the potential to be a really great season and i think there are enough elements set up right now that if it follows on the path that it's currently going it's going to be a great season. It's going to join that top tier of Survivor seasons 
not going to go a whole hog like Josh Wiggler, who's constantly banging the best season ever drum, possibly hyperbolically. Um, but it's got potential. Like I, I don't want to jinx it by saying this is, this is greatness. But I mean, I remember as Kagayan was happening, we were just constantly like, man, this, this season is so good. Is it is actually, there was, we were worried about recency bias. Like we were, were we overrating it because, you know, it's what we're watching now. I think in real time, you can see this season's really good. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We've all sort of been feeling it. And I think it's not just hyperbolic just for the sake of, uh, you know, being on a podcast and writing like Wiggler is, but you know, you're right. When you compare it to, you know, previous seasons, it just, it feels better. And maybe if we were to watch, you know, this back to back with a different season on a rewatch, we wouldn't feel the same way. But I think the feelings that you feel as it's happening do get to influence how you rank things. It's that nostalgia factor. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it helps that there hasn't necessarily been a run of dud episodes for sure. But even like the sort of filler episodes where you had to go through to get to the more exciting stuff, even in episodes where the votes were relatively straightforward, they've been good, entertaining episodes. Like that's when you need the good cast to carry you through. Like if it's going to be a unanimous vote, at least have enough going on and a cast that can entertain you before you get to that unanimous vote. And that's what this season has delivered. Yep, absolutely. So I mentioned that the season could be great if certain things plan out or play out. Let's talk about how we think things are going to play out. Let's do some predictions. What do you think's happening with next week's vote? All right. So my prediction, or at least what's going to be like a semblance of a prediction, because I am still not a hundred percent sure, even though I do know that, that I need to pick a name. Um, but what I'm going to talk about is going to be based on the uh, next time on Survivor. So if you consider that a spoiler, this is your warning. Skip ahead a bit. Um, but in that next time on Survivor, we saw the very key scene of Gabby going to Allison and Kara and saying, this is the time. I'm taking a swing. Let's get Christian. My ride or die, it's die. Um, so if that's going to happen, if Christian is going, I'm sorry, if Gabby is going to swing for Christian, Crazy. that I'm going to assume something here that Christian is going to sense it, that he's going to see it coming. Because again, these two have been ride or die. So for Gabby to sort of change something, like she has to really put on an act that Christian will not pick up, that he won't play his idol, or even that he won't make a counter move with all of his numbers, um, which I just, I don't know that I'm super confident in that. Um, so assuming that Christian sees this coming, and then presumably that he can only rope in maybe Nick as an ally, because I think everybody else on the island would be super down to get Christian out of there, because he's public enemy number one at this point. Um, it all sort of comes down to which way Nick would go. Would he go with Christian, and they both play their idols, and then they get to choose who goes home? Or would Nick go with the majority, maybe make a vote split, right? And then make that play out. Um, well, actually, a vote split wouldn't work because it's only one Christian. All right. Um, see, this is, this is part of it. Like, I know half of it and I don't know the rest. So let's pick a name at random that will probably change by Tuesday once I figure out what my prediction actually is. Let's go with Allison. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That was a really long path to get to Allison with no justification whatsoever. <laughs> so I have a little more, um, I don't think I would say well reasoned, but let's say I actually put some thought into this because it, it went before this episode when I was making the predictions for this double episode. I, my wife can confirm this because as soon as the episode started, I said, like, I think we're going to see two men get booted here. And that's because I just have this feeling. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, they talked about the women never finding an idol. And we've seen like the, the seeds planted of like a women's alliance way back in the Goliath tribe. I feel like it's going to come to fruition at some point. Like, I, I think we're set up for the idea that women are going to unite. I don't think that preview is a red herring. I think that like this is the actual women's alliance starting to form. Now, whether it forms at this particular vote, I don't know, because as you mentioned, there are some obstacles to getting Christian out. Um, he has that idol, and it seems reasonable for him to be nervous enough to play it. Um, I, I will guess that that group does decide, the women do decide, hey, let's take Christian out. But 
they also recognize like it might be dangerous right here. And thus they put the votes on Davy to make it seem like they're still with Christian for one more vote. I think they are going to target Christian very soon, possibly in the following episode, but I think this vote will end up being Davy. All right. Anything else to say about the episode? Um, I don't believe so. I think it's time for plugs, isn't it? Sure. So let's first talk about our website, which is, of course, purplerockpodcast.com. How would you possibly not know that by this point? I don't know. But we plug it every week as though you're some idiot who's new to the internet, even though you somehow found our podcast. Um, next week, hosts will be Blackjack and Hookers. Emma and Matt are returning to uh, host the podcast. I'm sorry that you won't have the people's champion next week. <laughs> as Brad called me at the start of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, get well soon, Andy. Anything else, Brad? Uh, well, I'll just give my handle, at Purple Rock oh. uh, Brad, because you are at Purple Rock John, right? Yeah, I guess we should actually put in ways that people can contact us. Yeah, if you yeah. want to tweet at us, we do live tweet the show generally. Um, at Purple Rock Pod is the show account. Um, usually that's me because I'm the East Coast person. <laughs> so, um, and Matt is too, but he tweets from Purple Rock Matt. I use the show account because I'm so much cooler. Um, if you want to follow me, I'm at Purple Rock John. All right. I, yeah. I, I think that's all the plugs. I didn't write them all down because I'm a little rusty here. Oh, well, I was also, since I'm here, I was going to plug, uh, the bonus content posts, which go up on Monday, which I will sort of sneak peek for this upcoming week. Uh, we call them bonus content posts and not bonus video because you'll see this week there's not a lot of video. There's gonna be, a, or I should say rather, there's gonna be a lot of not video, and uh, maybe you'll see what that means on Monday. But also on top of that, I do actually want to give a shout out to uh, Barbara Anderson and Blurry Denzel. Thank uh, you to the two of you for filling in last week on Thanksgiving, uh, just because I wasn't gonna do it, but you stepped up and you. Uh, wrote the video post uh for that week so just want to give a shout out it's a good community we have around this place i just want to say i don't go on record and say this if that bonus content post that you're making for monday does not almost exclusively feature gabby and angelina you're fired because they were clearly the stars of these two episodes they deserve to be the stars of such a post and let's hit some theme music we run this mother- Girl, run the world.